Tonight, more Canucks players and staff land on the COVID list. Why the season isn't all that's in jeopardy. Plus, freedom, 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 freedom. as case numbers skyrocket, some restaurants defy the orders. Now, what police are serving them? And so I was like, what? <laughs> now? The right place at the right time to get a surprise COVID vaccine. Could it happen to you? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with developing news from the Vancouver Canucks. The COVID-19 outbreak involving the team is going from bad to worse. On the heels of earlier news that first six, then more than 12 players and staff were on the COVID list, that number has now jumped to 16 players and three coaches. Barry DeLay joins us now with the latest. Barry, we know that uh, some of the names are on. We knew some of the names earlier, but you now know the latest names added to that list. Mm -hmm. We do, Colleen, as you mentioned, now up to 16 players and the NHL does release uh, those on the COVID list. We should uh, clarify just because you're on the COVID list doesn't mean you have contracted COVID-19. It's because you possibly have been within proximity of someone who had it. So they do not clarify, but they're on the list. So here are the new players added to that list today. Travis Boyd, who the Canucks picked up on waivers from Toronto last week, Thatcher Demko, Jace Howerlick, Bo Horvat, Tyler Mott, Tyler Myers, and Brandon Sutter. So it's up to 16 players and three coaches. Not really a surprise in a locker room situation. Obviously, the virus can spread quickly. The New Jersey Devils had 19 players at one time earlier this season on the COVID list, and they suspended operations for two weeks, and that's what we expect from the league to to uh, extend that uh, COVID break for the Canucks, which was at uh, seven get days. And we do expect it'll be advanced on another week, Colleen. And Barry, do we know anything about the condition of those who have in fact tested positive? Uh, not really. The only one we've heard is uh, through Twitter from Adam Gaudet's wife, who said that they both have it, and she said that he's not doing as well as her, but she's looking after him. As you might expect, uh, the Canucks pretty closed-mouthed about that, uh, so we don't know how each player is doing or, or how severe each case may be. But as we know, this uh, affects people differently, and a lot of athletes who are young and in good shape uh, have had adverse effects and others uh, not like uh, much more than the flu. So we really don't have that info, but we do know the Canucks are going to be off for quite a while. All right, Barry, thank you. Late this afternoon, B.C.'s new two-day case count helped push Canada past one million cases since the pandemic began. We have 2,090 new cases since Thursday. That total is the result of our two highest single-day jumps so far and brings B.C.'s total since testing began to 102,970. There are 90 people in the ICU and tragically we lost six more people to the virus. Almost 66,500 thousand doses of vaccine were administered over the past two days, most on Thursday. Some good news, by the end of next week, the province will expand the AstraZeneca vaccine program for 55 to 65 year olds to outside the lower mainland. Officials will be working with pharmacies to administer the doses in communities including Dawson Creek, Fort St. John, Kamloops, Kelowna, Nanaimo, Parksville, Prince George, Quinell, Terrace, Vernon and Victoria. Most British Columbians have been trying to remain patient when it comes to booking a vaccine, for the most part, having to wait for their age cohort to become eligible. 
So you can imagine a Vancouver woman's surprise when she was able to be inoculated while she was out shopping. Nadia Stewart has more on being at the right place at the right time and efforts to reduce vaccine waste. What started out as an afternoon trip to the grocery store. All I went for was just to go shopping, do my groceries. That was it. And it was by chance that she had an opening. An opening to get a COVID-19 vaccine. Susan LaRue says she popped into this superstore on Marine Drive to grab a few things on Friday. Just out of curiosity, she went by the pharmacy to inquire about the possibility of getting her name on any possible vaccine waiting list. And she said to me, well, actually, we had a no-show, so you can get it now. So I was like, what? <laughs> now? LaRue had to present ID, proving she was between 55 and 65 years of age. And she says the pharmacist told her this is how they avoid right, wasting doses. And the pharmacist just basically said that they'll announce it over the PA system if they have any extras towards the end of the day when they're closing shop. We did ask the Ministry of Health what the protocol is around extra doses. In an email, they said if someone misses an appointment rather than discard doses, the vaccine will be delivered to local hospitals at the end of each day to use for patients who are eligible in the current age cohort or people prioritized for early vaccinations or healthcare workers. But it turns out other stores have done exactly what that pharmacy in Superstore is doing. In a tweet, one shopper sent an announcement about leftover doses was made while she was in a Langley Save-On Foods. Another shopper shared the location of a Costco in Surrey, where extra doses were offered to shoppers within that 55 to 65 age bracket on a first-come, first-served basis. At a national level, attempts are being made to avoid waste. The healthcare professionals and vaccine administrators have taken extraordinary care, creating conditions where wastage has been minimal and far below initial estimates. That's good news for people like LaRue. So I didn't have to deal with the phones, <laughs> with the online appointments. We just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Now do you start other than vaccines, one way the province hopes to slow our highly alarming spread is a three-week restriction banning indoor dining at BC restaurants. But now more restaurateurs are speaking out about their mounting frustrations. As Julia Foy reports, one Vancouver owner was slapped with a closure order last night, and another was filmed defiantly serving customers indoors. Look at the cannoli. <laughs> We've got pistachio cannoli. Ron and Wendy Raywall drove in from Surrey to visit Gusto Restaurant in Vancouver. We love this restaurant. We love uh, Frederico. We support him. We support his right to remain open. On Friday, owner Frederico Fuco said he would not stop serving food indoors in defiance of the latest public health order. It's not that I want to be disrespectful or irresponsible. It's because we were completely blindsided. On Friday night, chains went on the doors and Vancouver Coastal Health confirmed it issued a closure order for Gusto, a taste of Italy. But on Saturday, the doors were once again open, but there was no indoor dining. I'm complying with the latest order because I want everyone to feel safe and it is about safety. Show me the data that these industries are resulting in outbreaks, in death. The cure cannot be worse than the cause and it's time to open up our doors. One speaker at Friday's Freedom Rally featured the owner of a small restaurant called Corduroy's, who opened their doors for diners. Freedom! Freedom! BC Solicitor General is upset over the restaurant rebels. It's quite disgraceful, actually. Um, it is just uh, uh, 
flying in the face of what most British Columbians are doing, what nearly all restaurants in this province are doing, which is abiding by the health orders. Matthew says she plans to serve meals all weekend. We know that they are going to come down and uh, be very unpleased with us, but I think we need to take a stand that enough is enough. We need to be able to live. It's unclear how long this food fight will continue. To sort of thumb your nose because you think you're special or you're entitled to something or that the rules don't apply to you is just frankly, um, it, it is completely irresponsible. Julia Foy, Global News. Interior Health is apologizing to teachers in the Central Okanagan School District after telling them they'd be vaccinated over the long weekend. But that's not going to happen. It was never in the plans. It was a misunderstanding. So we had to, we had to unfortunately cancel those, those clinics specifically. Teachers in School District 23 were told they would be vaccinated between April 1st and 5th. According to the IHA, some teachers have been showing up at clinics only to be turned away. The region's chief medical health officer, Dr. Albert DeVille, says the IHA made a mistake telling the district that school district vaccinations were going ahead despite the clinic being fully booked. I mean, we really appreciate the help from all the, from all the teachers and specifically from the school district. And what we are impressed with um, is that they actually mobilized so quickly. We were really impressed, although they, they acted on wrong information that we provided them. But they were really on the ball and, and really set this whole thing into motion, which was great on, on that front. So when their turn comes up, which hopefully will be soon, we are looking forward that they will actually be able to mobilize as, as quickly again. IHA says while teachers remain a priority group, it cannot say at this time when they might be getting their shots. On the downtown east side, Union Gospel Mission is serving up to 2,000 to-go meals this Easter. In striking with, uh, rather in sticking with COVID-19 protocols, only a handful of volunteers, all wearing PPE, handed out meals through the drop-in doors at UGM's East Hastings location today. Former restaurant owner Virginia Whalen is among the volunteers serving up hope during the third wave of the pandemic. The 63-year-old struggled with alcohol addiction and homelessness before going through detox and getting help from the UGM women's program. Going from living, you know, in my car to where I am today, uh, I'm in incredibly grateful. I've gone back to school now and I've picked up a paintbrush again. I'm selling my art. I have art shows and I'm going to university. The entire year has been throwing everything it has at our community um, who are struggling with, you know, extreme levels of homelessness, poverty, addiction, opioid deaths, COVID-19. There is hope. Vaccines have been rolling out. The rest of the UGM's ham dinners will be served over several days across multiple venues. The planned July 1st shutdown of downtown Kelowna's Bernard Avenue for outdoor dining is a hot topic among the street's business owners. Some want the closure to begin much sooner in order to stay afloat now. Darian Matessa-Fung has more. Because they want to be out and about, but uh, with uh, all the sunshine and... Uh... You know, everybody wants to get out right now. We've, we've all got spring fever. Some downtown businesses are pushing for Kelowna City Council to consider shutting down Bernard Avenue earlier than expected. It's getting the uh, downtown core open, or at least for pedestrian-only traffic uh, coming up as soon as possible. 
so that we can sort of mitigate some of the uh, loss of seating in our restaurants. Dan Bronswick, co-owner of Breadco, says he's all for shutting down Bernard Avenue earlier than scheduled, citing last year's success as a major driving force. Last year we did really good numbers when the, when the downtown core was closed to pedestrian only, so it'll be really good for us. Other Bernard business owners echo those statements. I'll be for earliest better, yeah, for because of the pandemic, yeah, the new rules, yeah. I always suggest to have it earlier. Last year it was very good, the response was very good. So I, since now we have limited space outside, we just have two tables, more tables will help us, yeah, for sure totally for it. Um, last year was awesome. Uh, I, I, I think everybody should do it. I, I think they should do it every year. It's, it's really cool for the community to be able to just kind of mingle and get downtown without, uh, without that traffic. Kelowna City Councillor Mohini Singh says she's not opposed to the closure happening sooner than expected. However, she says the issue must be discussed with everyone involved. These days we have to be nimble. We have to be ready to move quickly. But these decisions can't be taken on the fly. We have to sit down and have a discussion about this, hear from all the stakeholders. Singh says she's heard from some businesses who oppose the street shutdown altogether. Because a lot of people believe that the uh, pedestrians will simply target the areas they want to go, go to and bypass their stores. And... Uh, and some feel they'll get forgotten in all this. City Council has not discussed moving the planned Bernard shutdown date yet. Singh says she expects the issue to be brought up at the next City Council meeting. Darian Matasafung, Global News. A composite image of one of the last victims of the Washington State serial killer has been released, and investigators believe she may have been Canadian. Green River killer Gary Ridgway terrorized the Pacific Northwest in the late 1970s and early 80s, murdering 49 women. The remains of an unidentified victim were found in January of 1986, along with another victim in southeast King County. Forensic evidence suggests she was in her mid to late teens and may have been from Canada or the East Coast. Parabon Nanolabs used DNA analysis to create an image of the woman's physical characteristics. Creating the structure of what we think this child's face could be, and that's using a 3D modeling software based on a CT scan of the skeletal remains. That 3D modeling software allows us to put digital clay on top of the skull uh, in order to create a facial approximation as to what we think she could have looked like. Ridgway is serving a life sentence in Washington State Penitentiary. He pleaded guilty to 48 murders in 2003, then pleaded guilty in 2011 to murdering another woman. A week after that mass fatal stabbing in North Vancouver, a candlelight vigil will be held tonight in honor of the victims. The Lynn Valley Lions Club and Lynn Valley Legion are organizing the drive-through vigil starting at 7.30 at Lynn Valley Canyon Park. Drivers are being asked to follow Ross Road. Organizers are stressing no congregations will be allowed in order to keep the event COVID safe. A woman in her 20s was killed and six others injured in the attack. Unforeseen things and tragic events like this happen. Um, that healing process needs to start. And a lot of that has to do with coming together. And in such a challenging period, uh, it takes the cooperation of all levels of government and people to make that happen. Coming up next, two fires, one of them fatal. One person is killed when the van they were in goes up in flames in East Vancouver Plus. So it's just to help him live his best life. 
A Vancouver man has a working replica of his SUV, but it's no child's toy. Who it's for later on the news hour. One person has died and another taken to hospital with second degree burns when a van caught fire in East Vancouver. The whole roof went up when that when that propane tank let go. Firefighters were called to Slocan on 12th Avenue today when a suspected propane explosion blew the roof off a camper van. A woman in her 20s managed to escape the flames and was taken to hospital, but a man in his 50s was found dead inside. Investigators are looking into the cause of the fire, although they don't believe it's suspicious. City streets in the area have been home to a number of RVs and camper vans. A fire broke out at an apartment building in Maple Ridge early this morning, forcing dozens of residents into the cold. And then I saw, I saw the flames coming out of the building. Witnesses say it broke out at around 3 o'clock this morning at the building on Dudney Trunk Road. At least one person was taken away in, in an ambulance. Their condition is unknown. Many others stood outside with blankets trying to stay warm. Dudney Trunk Road was closed between 220th and 222nd Streets while fire crews assessed the scene. No word yet on a cause. It was a major fire. I was really scared that our, our building was going to burn and then the big complex of the old folks behind us, I thought that was going to go up too. So thank God that uh, they got on top of it right away. Alcohol is believed to be a factor in a serious head-on crash that closed Highway 91 in Richmond for hours. Richmond RCMP say at around 3.30 this morning, the driver of a red Hyundai was driving the wrong way in the westbound lanes when they collided with a semi-truck. The truck driver was not hurt. The driver of the car was sent to hospital with serious injuries. Their condition is now described as stable. Traffic reopened along the highway this afternoon. Two and a half months after she disappeared, the parents of a missing Port Moody woman are thanking searchers for the efforts to find their daughter. Trina Hunt's parents, Chuck and Diana, are sharing new photos of their daughter online and on a Facebook post and expressing their gratitude to family, friends, neighbors and volunteers. Chuck and Diana say their hearts have been broken since their daughter went missing and they're trying to stay focused on wonderful family memories and fun times. The 48-year-old was last seen at her Heritage Mountain home on the morning of January 18th. Hunt was reported missing when her husband returned home from work hours later. A massive ground search was launched but called off after three days. Police say Hunt's family has been completely cooperative and foul play is not suspected. Struggling local fishing charter businesses are speaking out, calling on the federal government to allow a special fishery for hatchery Chinook salmon this season. Paul Johnson says the companies claim such a fishery would allow them to stay afloat while also protecting salmon stocks. We're on the hunt for the first of the season's Chinook salmon. Sport charter operator Jason Tinelli has a special permit to allow for a catch and release Saturday to get a DNA sample from the fish. We want to protect some Chinook stocks of concerns. It's all about trying to figure out which fish are the threatened ones and which are not. As for his industry, there's little doubt presently where they stand on that question. We need opportunity and we need it now. Businesses are on the verge of bankruptcy. In a good year, BC's sport fishing industry can bring in a billion dollars. 
but last year's combination of COVID and fishing closures to protect certain Chinook runs from the Fraser River have pushed the industry to the edge. So sport charter operators like Tenelli came up with this idea. Allow anglers to take only fish with the clipped fins that indicate they're hatchery fish, taking the pressure off of the wild Chinook. 25 MPs have endorsed the plan, including Bob Zimmer from Prince George. It's critical to these, to our BC public fishing families uh, to have access to those fish that are, that are not at risk. There's a lot out there and they need it to survive. After only about 20 minutes, we've got a hit. Reeling in this 10-pound Chinook. Tonelli takes the tissue sample from its tail, measures it, then returns it to the water. Under their proposal, this one wouldn't have been a keeper because its unclipped fin means it could be wild. Tonelli will pass the data on to DFO along with his hope that they approve his plan. We really want the message to the minister to be to accept these proposals and to do it right away. It's absolutely critical. DFO didn't get back to us in time for this story. Operators like Tinelli were hoping for some good news April 1st. So when that came and went, there's growing fear they'll miss out again on some of the best Chinook fishing, which starts in just a couple of weeks. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Up next, why the immunity you developed to COVID-19 may be very personal. Plus, where our country stands in the vaccine rollout and the race to beat the variants. And a moving experience in Cairo tonight with mummies finding a new home. Next. As we told you earlier, Canada's COVID-19 cases have now exceeded 1 million. Vaccines have provided some hope we'll finally be able to get ahead of this pandemic. But so far, they've been no match for the highly transmissible variants now fueling this third wave. A steady ramp up of supplies expected in the coming weeks. And as Eric Sorensen reports, that could make a big difference in the race between vaccines and variants. Finally, signs of success in Canada's vaccination program. Close to three-quarters of Canadians over the age of 80 have now received at least one dose, and provinces are now reaching out to younger age groups. It comes after a tense few weeks when vaccine shipments were temporarily cut by Pfizer and Moderna. As recently as this week, Ontario's premier was getting testy with Ottawa. We still don't have the steady and reliable supply of mass uh, vaccines that we need from the federal government. It has been a bumpy road for a country suffering COVID fatigue. Several nations, including the UK and the US, manufactured large numbers of doses and got a head start on much of the world. Canada, among many, was desperate to catch up. International vaccine distribution began three months ago. At the end of January, Canada was virtually even with comparable countries, having vaccinated around 2% of the population. But after deliveries to Canada were cut, this country fell well behind many others. Deliveries, though, have since picked up. And by the end of March, Canada pulled ahead of France, Italy and Germany, with over 13% of Canadians having received at least one dose. Indeed, Ottawa now says 9.5 million doses will have been distributed across Canada by this weekend and 40 million by the end of June, meaning provinces will now have to be ready for a surge of vaccines. We have completed a series of exercises, dry runs and rehearsals with more than 150 stakeholders and federal, provincial and territorial partners from across the country to prepare for an unprecedented distribution of vaccines across the nation. 
But another unprecedented surge is also taking place at hospitals like this one. COVID variants are putting more and younger Canadians into ICU beds. Vaccinations will not happen soon enough to fully blunt a third wave of cases, says one ICU doctor. Young individuals are getting very sick coming into the hospital and it's steadily climbing and that population is not going to get vaccinated in the coming weeks to months. So unless particular populations are targeted to address this, uh, I worry that this is going to continue to rise. Case numbers will rise, but as vaccines are administered in large numbers, particular populations can be targeted, such as those in congregate settings. Food processing plans, jails, homeless shelters, uh, and these are the areas I think that are the highest risk. Once we start to vaccinate that uh, sector of the population, you're going to see that the uh, pandemic will really decelerate, especially going into the warmer months. COVID variants are expected to hold the upper hand for some weeks, but vaccines are coming and the timetable is moving up for more and more Canadians to get their shots. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto. But Canada still has a long way to go to ramp up vaccinations. Israel is vaccinating its population faster than any other country. It has administered more than 116 doses for every 100 people. Canada is way down the global list, ranked lower than 40th in the world. So far, 15 doses have been given for every 100 people here. But some developing countries have yet to administer even a single dose. The World Health Organization has warned the world is on the brink of a catastrophic moral failure. Egypt's capital was lit up in a spectacular fit for a uh, site fit for the pharaohs. Have a look. 22 royal mummies were paraded through the streets of Cairo in specially designed capsules filled with nitrogen to protect them. The remains of the ancient rulers, 18 kings and four queens, were transported from the Egyptian Museum to their new home at the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. It's hoped the pharaoh's golden parade, as it was called, will renew interest in ancient Egyptian civilizations and give the country's struggling tourism industry a boost. In Health Matters tonight, it appears COVID immunity may be a very individual matter. A new study finds COVID-19 antibodies weaken at different rates, lasting just days in some people and possibly decades in others. A team of international scientists used data from COVID-19 patients to develop an algorithm predicting the antibodies' trajectory over time. Researchers also found people may still be protected with T-cell immunity, even when antibodies are low. Still to come, the Vancouver dog with a very sweet ride, just like his humans. But first, remember this. What is that? Now, the debris recovered from the failed SpaceX rocket reentry, and what authorities are saying about it next. The debris recovered from last week's failed SpaceX rocket reentry will show it to you and the terse statement from authorities about it right after Yvonne's forecast. Yeah, nothing like that falling from the sky today. Was there any rain? I honestly didn't get outside. There was there, and we are still tracking a chance for some showers. So depending on where you were across Metro Vancouver, and we've got a nice bright day in store just in time for Easter Sunday, Easter egg hunts, and all those that will be celebrating potentially in their backyard, and I'll have, you have more in just a moment. A couple of photos to share, though. This one, a great shot. There's cloud cover, but you're still seeing the cherry blossoms out there. This one captured at David Lamb Park, Comox Valley, Kyle Bay, the cloud cover, ominous looking, and this one was taken by 
Susan. So thank you so much. All right, here's what we're currently looking at. We'll start to see more of a clearing on the way, especially overnight tonight, leading in through the day for tomorrow. Temperatures today have been mild for a few spots, and especially in the southern interior. We're currently sitting at 11 degrees, and we've got an easterly wind at 17 kilometers per hour. But check out a Soyuz today. 20 as the high areas near trail, topping out at 18, similar for Kamloops and Cranbrook today, bumping up to 17 degrees. We still have that rainfall. We can see it towards the eastern areas, stretching into the Fraser Valley, likely still seeing that chance of showers for the Fraser Valley in the morning and then breaks towards the afternoon. We've got a bit of a break now towards the west end, but we'll still hang on to a slight chance for some showers and looking ahead along the island as well. We'll start to see a clearing on the way. Here's a quick glance at the future cast as we put into play. The concern this evening will be for higher elevations if you're traveling along the mountain passes. We still do have accumulating snowfall. And see, these are some of the amounts that we could potentially see along the Coquihalla. Five and up to ten centimeters. The Rogers Pass at five. Allison Pass between two and four. And then there is the potential for some flurries. Not much in terms of accumulation for both the Kootenai Pass as well as the Sea to Sky. A drier day, but a mainly cloudy one across the north coast tomorrow. Much of the central interior could still see a few flurries in the morning and then easing off towards the afternoon. Southeastern corners for the Colombian Kootenai also seeing some precipitation. Higher elevations could see some flurries and then it should start to ease off towards the afternoon. It'll be similar if you're traveling along the mountain passes. Along the south coast, it'll just be the Fraser Valley, so eastern areas that could still see that chance for some showers in the morning. We're brightening up for tomorrow, Easter Sunday. Highs will be up to 9 degrees and into the double digits. Pleasant into both Monday, Tuesday, so spectacular forecast. We're not looking ahead towards Wednesday just yet. That's a few days away, uh, but for tomorrow, great. We'll have some sunshine, dry conditions, and temperatures up to 9. Great weather for hunting eggs. Yes. Great. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Okay, remember that burning rocket debris that streaked across the night sky on the West Coast last week? Well, evidence of that spectacular sight has now been recovered. People across the Pacific Northwest, as you'll remember, from Vancouver Island to Oregon, were bewildered by the strange sight on that night of March 25th. According to the National Weather Service in Seattle, it was debris from the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket burning up in the atmosphere. The rocket launched earlier this month and failed to make a deorbit burn upon re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. Well, since then, a farmer in eastern Washington state discovered a nearly intact piece of rocket in his field. The vessel is used to store helium and left a 10-centimeter dent in the ground. The local county sheriff posted a photo of the debris on social media saying it was found on private property and, quote, Media and treasure hunters, we are not disclosing specifics. The property owner simply wants to be left alone. Yeah, glad it didn't hit anything other than the ground. Yes, very lucky. But it would create, create quite the attraction for people to want to see. A little bit of momentum coming from all those millions of miles away. Just a little, <laughs> just a little. Uh, what do you got coming up, Barry? Well, obviously the big story with uh, the Canucks and COVID, the list grows up to 19 now, 16 players three coaches and uh, we are hearing that at least half of the team or over half the team has actually tested positive for COVID-19. The list doesn't necessarily mean you have tested positive. You may have, of course, in the locker room, the proximity, everyone's around everyone. So pretty much if you're on the team, you're probably going to be on the list. So we'll update that and tell you what's next for the uh, Canucks, or hopefully we'll know what's next. And also Bianca Andreescu going for the Miami Open Championship. We'll have highlights of that as well. Nice. Thanks, Barry. Coming up next, searching for the origins of a pandemic. Whatever is down there, they don't want us to see. The questions now being answered and the ones that may never be. And later.
the Gastown dog who drives his own car. We kid you not, that's not the video. <laughs> we'll show the right video to you as the news hour continues. The exact origin of the novel coronavirus that sparked the COVID-19 pandemic is still an unanswered question. The World Health Organization team investigating the evidence trail says it leads to southern China. But as you're about to see, China is providing more roadblocks than answers. In the mystery of where the pandemic started, could the missing link be here? On farms in Yunnan that long raised wild animals for food, fur and traditional medicine like bamboo rats, deer, hedgehogs. It was a lucrative trade here. Until February 2020, as the virus was spreading, China abruptly shut down the entire industry. Farmers were given buyouts to get rid of animals. China's crackdown shuttered some 20,000 wildlife farms nationwide. In Yunnan, most clustered near the border with Myanmar and Laos, an area also rich in bat species, known to carry coronaviruses. Scientifically speaking, we are very, very confident the virus came from bats. The wildlife is, uh, without any doubt, the highest risk factor. It was here that COVID's closest known relative was identified, in an old copper mine, where in 2012, six men got sick and three died. The virus found in bat droppings there, a 96.2% match to the one now driving the pandemic. We found the road to the mine, blocked by angry men. Clearly they aren't going to let us pass. Whatever is down there, they don't want us to see. Since 2013, that bat sample from the mine was kept at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. At the center of suspicion, the virus may have leaked from a lab. But a World Health Organization report into COVID's origins points to evidence that wildlife farms are a hotspot where a bat virus could spill to animals than people. Yet now, over a year later, there may be little evidence left to find. Janice Mackey-Frayer, NBC News, Yunnan, China. Barry has sports next, including the latest on the Canucks COVID outbreak. And after that... It just makes people smile. And I love hearing that it made someone's day. The Vancouver man whose driving dog is the talk of Gastown. Yes, you heard right. As the news hour continues. This April, join us in celebrating Sikh Heritage Month BC. Be part of the various virtual events throughout the month showcasing the economic, social, and cultural contributions of Sikh Canadians who have been in BC for over 100 years. Join virtual walking tours, workshops, panel discussions, and more. Experience authentic Japanese art and culture at this year's virtual Richmond Cherry Blossom Festival. Check out their online program and follow at Fun Richmond on social media for info on how to enjoy the beautiful cherry blossoms. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. The story of a man and his dog and the dog's car. We'll explain the strange sight people in Vancouver's gas town are likely to see. We'll have that right after Barry's sportscast. He looks happy about it. He, he uh, is happy sure. about yeah. it. All right, thanks, Colleen. Well, not surprisingly, the Canucks COVID list is growing. It's gone from seven yesterday to 16 today, and they still may not be done. But from a hockey standpoint, having seven players or 16 players on the list doesn't make that much of a difference. The team will be shut down for a while, likely two weeks, which means their next game 
likely won't be until the 17th, but this situation is definitely fluid. Here's the new list of seven. Demko, Horvat, Sutter, Mott, Myers, Travis Boyd, who the Canucks just got from the Leafs on waivers, and Jace Howerluck. And if you missed it, this was the list earlier in the week. Hughes, Edler, Holtby, McEwen, Roussel, Gaudette, Hamannick. And now we hear three coaching staff members and a couple members of the taxi squad. So it's 19, 16 players, three coaches, but the taxi squad members and coaching staff members, their names not made public. We uh, should emphasize the players on the list have not necessarily tested positive for COVID-19. They may have just been in close proximity with someone who did test positive and of course in a locker room. That pretty much means everyone. Reports say that more than half of the players on the list though have tested positive. Either way, they have to self-isolate. So basically the Canucks are officially shut down until next Wednesday, but we fully expect the NHL to extend that shutdown another week. And that announcement will likely come in a couple of days. Other stuff, Bianca Andreescu is only 20, but she is one of the fiercest competitors in pro sports. This week in Miami, Andreescu has dug deep time and time again to pull out matches. She's gone to three sets in four of her five matches in Miami, and three of them lasted over two hours, 40 minutes. The one concern with Bianca has been her ability to stay healthy. She plays so hard and puts her body on the line that she is susceptible to injuries. Would she have enough gas in the tank today to beat world number one, Ash Barty of Australia in the final at the Miami Open. First career meeting between these two. Bianca will move up to world number six in the rankings, win or lose. The Aussie has an all-around game, not as flashy as Bianca, but makes you work. And Barty jumped out quickly, gets the break of serve, and led very quickly three games to love. Bianca, though, settled in. Sometimes it takes her a little bit to get into the match. But she will uh, rip the two-fisted backhand winner down the line, and she would later break Barty to get back on serve. So things looking better for Bianca, trailing 3-2. But Barty broke right back and now serving for the set. Here's the best point of the match. Bianca will have a fantastic lob here to stay in the point and then comes into the net and puts it away. But Barty did go on to take the set 6-3 despite uh, Bianca winning that point. Second set. Disaster strikes for Bianca running for a ball. She gets her feet tangled and goes down hard, twisting her ankle. Now she decided to tough it out, of course. She is such a competitor. Took a medical timeout to get the ankle taped. We've seen her dig deep so many times. Could she do it again? Unfortunately, no. Barty will hit the ace here. Bianca really unable to move with the ankle swelling. And it was a very emotional moment for the 20-year-old from Toronto, realizing she cannot continue. So Barty wins the Miami Open. Bianca with a brave effort. Hopefully she won't be out long, but ankles are a beast to recover from. She'll likely be a few weeks at least. Blue Jays and Yankees from the Bronx. The Jays had yesterday off after they won the season opener 3-2 over New York in extra innings. Bottom of the fourth, Gary Sanchez with the solo shot off. Jay starter Ross Stripling, 2-1 Yankees lead. Now 3-1 New York, Toronto gets one back, and it's newcomer Marcus Semien who hit 33 homers for Oakland in 2019. That's his first as a Blue Jay, and it's 3-2. But in the sixth, the veteran Jay Bruce will muscle one to left. It drops and scores two. Left center, and the Yankees even the series after a 5-3 win today over the Blue Jays. They will play again tomorrow. 
Men's World Curling Championship from Calgary, Canada's rink skipped by Edmonton's Brendan Botcher taking on Denmark. 2-0 start for the Canadians. They beat Scotland and Japan on Friday. Fourth end, Botcher, perfect draw weight. Didn't lay a brush to it. Canada gets its deuce, leads 4-2. Fifth end, final stone for Danish skip. Michael Kraus facing two Canadian counters in the forefoot. But Kraus is light. Despite the brushing, comes up short, steal a two for Canada. They win again 7-5, improved to 3-0. Next up, Switzerland, 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. NHL tonight, Canadians and Senators. Montreal six points up on the Canucks, four games in hand. Tyler Toffoli back in the lineup after missing a couple of weeks with a lower body injury. Boy, the former Canuck can snipe it, can he? That's his 19th goal, tied for fourth in the NHL. But Ottawa was a mess of trouble for the Canadians today. Evgeny Davidoff with two 6-3 late, so at least a little good news for the Canucks on a day that's been anything but good news. Penguins and Bruins, 2005 World Junior teammate Sidney Crosby, Patrice Bergeron facing off. Bruins exploded for five in the second. Brad Marchand will tie it 3-3, and now 4-3. Marchand again, great playoff to face off in the final minute, and he would also score into the empty net for the hat trick as the Bruins outgun the Penguins 7-5. to five. Third round, Valero, Texas, open from San Antonio, defending champ Corey Connors of Canada. At the seventh, makes the birdie putt. He's at five under, uh, had a five under 67 today. Falls into 17th at four under. Adam Hadwin is tied 26th at two under. Nick Taylor, 55th at one over. Jordan Spieth will make the birdie putt coming up. He's the co-leader with Englishman Matt Wallace at 12 under par. Spieth looking for his first win on tour since 2017. English Premiership, first place Manchester City taking on third place Leicester City. Scoreless second half, Benjamin Mendy. Nice move there to score to give City the 1-0 lead. Then on the counter, how about this play? Kevin De Bruyne to Gabriel Jesus. Little give and go with Raheem Sterling. Easy as you like. City wins 2-0. Now 17 points up on second place Man United. NCAA Final Four from Indianapolis. The Battle of Texas in the first semifinal, Houston versus Baylor. That is uh, Tyler Myers' half-brother, Quentin Grimes, a star guard for Houston. But it was all Baylor who play out of Waco, Texas. Davian Mitchell hits the three. They led by 25 at the half. This one pretty much over already. Grimes had 13 points in what could be his final college game. Projected to be a second rounder in the NBA draft. But it's Baylor going on to the national final. 78-59 over Houston. And on court right now, number one ranked Gonzaga taking on... Uh, UCLA, Gonzaga out of Spokane, Washington with some Canadian content. Ontario's Andrew Nemhard with the nice driving layup. But the Bruins are giving them a run. Johnny Juzang with the uh, nice feed inside here. Or he'll hit the jumper at least. And the Bulldogs will get another basket here. They uh, uh, trail. Bulldogs rather lead UCLA 45-44 at the half. Very tight game. And we'll have complete highlights of that tonight at 11. All right, thanks, Barry. Up next, no driving license, but that's not stopping a bulldog in Vancouver from hitting the road. You'll meet him next. Okay, because it's Easter weekend, a story about love. We want to introduce you to a driving dog. A Vancouver canine owner was hit hard by COVID, so as Kristen Robinson tells us, he spent a few hundred dollars on a new ride to help both his beloved bulldogs get out together and spread some smiles. And you ready to go? All geared up and ready to roll. It doesn't take long for a boss bulldog on a mini Mercedes 
to grab the neighborhood's attention. Oh, Stopping pedestrians in their tracks, sending stares, snagging snapshots, and garnering glances in Gastown. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that before. With everything going on, it just brightens my day. He loves the attention. He loves to be the king of any room. At 11 years old, Mayo is losing his sight and mobility. So his owner decided to give him a boost of bling. So it's just to help him live his best life. He's a good trooper about this. Parked next to his neighbor's real thing, the electric toy car allows Mayo to ride alongside his seven-year-old sidekick. And Marshmallow is younger and she's just go, go, go. So it helps Mayo keep up. With Cameron Lawton remotely controlling his canine's drive, the steering wheel has been removed, but Mayo is known to put his paws to the pedal. He does love to try and drive himself too. Oh my goodness, he's driving. <laughs> That's hilarious. When he gets in his truck and starts driving down the street, rolling is the best. He's amazing. He's been a good boy today. Wearing Mayo and Marsh's names on his jacket and bearing tight tattoos, the COVID long hauler says his precious pets are helping him through the global pandemic and what's been a very tough year. It's changed my life. I mean, we're the three Camigos. These dogs have provided me everything in that time. They've made my life better, so I want to make their life better. Whether cruising Crab Park or paw trolling the streets, the Mutt Machine team riding high on pooch power during rough times. Just pure joy. I mean, yeah, this is just a happy scene, right? I love hearing that it made someone's day. Kristen Robinson, Global News. I love the cape. <laughs> Good touch. Caped Crusaders, yeah. for sure. Love it, love it. That's News Air for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is here at 11. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow. Have a good night.